Good morning. How are you guys? Good. You're allowed to say, I mean, you have masks on, but you are allowed to say words. So how is everybody this morning? Okay, that's better. Okay, good. It's good to be with you guys this morning. A thank you to whoever was responsible for uh, helping make this place look all Christmassy. I, Christmassy. I feel more festive just walking in here with stars and trees and lights and stuff. So thank you to whoever um, helped that happen. Just glad to be with you guys this morning, and I'm glad that the sun is streaming in, although I know some of you, it's maybe blinding a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a beautiful morning and a good time for us to come together around God's Word. So I'm grateful to have this opportunity to be with you guys and to look at God's Word together. Um, I am going to pray just one more time. I know Dan's already prayed, and we've prayed several times through our service, but I, I just find that like, I want this not to be, I know I say this very often, but I want this to be us not just going through the motions. I really do desire that our time together would be a time that God would speak to us. And so to that end, I'm just going to pray and pray that God would speak as we spend this time together. God, thank you that you are present here with us. Thank you for just the reminders already of the hope that we have in you. Lord, I know that people in this room probably come into this space with a variety of different feelings and thoughts. And so, Lord, I pray that your word would meet people where they are, that it would speak. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would even speak through me. Thank you for the time we have together. Use it, please, God. Please use it. Amen. Do you live with hope? One of my favorite writers, a guy named J.I. Packer, would argue that if you live or try to live without hope, that you're not actually living. Let me quote him. He says this, We say... While there's life, there's hope. But the deeper truth is that while there is hope, there is life. He goes on and defines what hope is in this next uh, sentence. He says, because in the absence of anything exciting to look forward to, that's his definition of hope, something to look forward to, existence itself becomes a burden and life no longer feels worth living. We thrive, life thrives on hope. In, in, in a way, I guess what we're saying here is that hope is a sort of fuel for life. So do you have hope? And if so, what is your hope in today? Maybe it'd be good for us to start by thinking a little bit about what we mean when we say this word hope. I know we've already said it a lot. When our children were younger and we were teaching them how to pray, it was interesting because just, I guess, naturally, as they were learning how to pray, how to communicate with God, this word hope would come out in their prayers a lot. So they would say things like, okay, uh, dear God, I hope that we have a good day today. I hope that we sleep well. I hope that this food is nice. You know, they would use this word hope all the time. Why did they do that? Well, they did that because for them, hope was an earnest longing. 
It was a desire yet to be realized or attained or grabbed hold of. Is that what hope is? If you look at a Bible, what you'll find in here about hope actually, I think, is quite fascinating because in a way it seems that hope throughout the Scripture goes through some sort of a transformation. Now, we'll get to talking about that, but maybe it'd be good for us to back up and start in the Old Testament and go to that psalm that we read earlier, Psalm 130. So I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible, please read along with me, Psalm 130. I'm going to start by reading verse 3 and 4. It's not a long psalm. We read all of it earlier. But let's just look at verse 3 and 4. It says this. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. What is an iniquity? It's a blemish, a sin, a, a, a broken thought, feeling, or action. And it's saying, O Lord, if you should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. Now, we're going to look specifically at the verses that follow this one, but this one is so beautiful that I couldn't at least note it with you and say, here in just a couple of sentences, verse 3 and 4, we have summated really the message of hope of the whole Scriptures. It articulates that, yes, we're broken, but there is hope because God is merciful. Read on with me, though. I do want you to see these next three verses in verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. This scripture is clearly pointing us to the object of our hope, or what should be the object of our hope. Look at verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul, and in His word I hope. The Lord is the object of our hope. As you go further on, my soul waits for the Lord. Verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord our hope should be in the Lord. But keeping that in mind, I want to go a little bit deeper into this text, into some of the original language. The Old Testament was written in the language of Hebrew. And in Hebrew, there are two words that translate into the English word hope. So it gets a little bit confusing here because there's two words that go into one. The words are yahal and kavah. And they both show up in these verses that we actually read. In fact, they both show up in verse 5. So let's look at verse 5 specifically. If you look at verse 5, when it says, I wait, it's saying, I kavah for the Lord. My soul waits, kavah. And in his word, I hope, yahal. So they're both there in this word. Now, there's some differences. Obviously, they sound different in Hebrew. But if you look up a Bible dictionary, what's interesting is how similar they are. Yahal is to wait, to hope, to expect, and to tarry. To kavah is to wait, look for, hope, expect, and linger. And so what this means is that we could translate this verse, verse 5, to say this, I hope 
for the Lord, my soul hopes, and in his word I hope. Now, obviously to us that would sound a little bit clunky, but really that's what it means. The Hebrew can be translated either way, to hope or to wait. I'll give you another example of this. If you went to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it's a famous verse. But if you were to go to that in a translation of the Bible like the New International Version, it would say this, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Okay? So that's the New International Version. Now, if we were to flip back over to the ESV translation, it would say, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, the reason that I'm kind of focusing on this, maybe hyper-focusing on this, is because it's actually rather important. What we need to see is the tie between the Old Testament word hope and the word wait. Hoping and waiting go hand in hand. And so when we say, which hopefully most of us would, when we say, I hope in God, we should understand that part of that hoping means I wait on God. There needs to be part of us that understands this waiting element that hope is patient, that hope is trusting, that hope is peaceful anticipation. That means that hope is not wistful, it's not impatient, it's not self-centered. Now, if we were to flip over to the New Testament, what would we see there about hope? The New Testament is not written in Hebrew, it's written in the language of Greek, which was the, the language of the time. And there's one word that we translate in the New Testament across to hope, and it's el peace. The word shows up throughout the New Testament in the book of Colossians, which is where I'm going to turn, and I invite you to join me. Colossians chapter 1, in fact, is where we'll go. But what you'll find in Colossians 1 is this word el peace. It shows up three times, and we're going to look at the third occurrence of it in chapter 1. In verse 27, and it says this, to them. Now, before we read any further, who is them? When it says to them, if you look back to the sentence before, what you see is that it's talking about his saints, as in the church, Christians, those who believe by faith in God. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, this is one of those Bible verses that you're like, oh, that sounds good, but I'm confused. Like, it's profound and perplexing. What is it actually saying? Well, it's saying that to Christians, those who are saved through faith in Christ alone, that's what we mean by a Christian, God chose to do something that's both mysterious and special. And that was to come and to dwell in them. Christ in us is what it's talking about. Now, I know that I say that, and some people, when they hear that, especially if they're listening and not asleep by this point, that sounds somewhat spooky or strange or mystical. But it's God's Word, and it's 100% true, and it clearly tells us that it is mysterious. 
I don't know if you saw in that verse, it says mystery. It doesn't try and hide the fact. In some ways, that's a disclaimer to say to us, hey, this is beyond your reason, and yet it's fully true. Christ lives in you, Christian. And that's not because you're a better person or less sinful than other people. That's because you have been completely cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You have been washed of your sins and washed of your iniquities. So much so that in this clean space, Jesus can come and dwell in you now. So that he can take up residency inside of you. And this truth that Christ is inside you is what? It is the hope of glory. Hope in the New Testament, this word el peace, is defined as this, to anticipate, usually with pleasure. It also means expectation. If you are a Christian, Christ is in you, and what that does is create in you an expectant hope of glory. What is glory? It's splendor, brilliance, honor, and praise. It is the future that we anticipate with longing, when all God's creation will be made right again. The moment when we don't have to deal with sickness, or with pain, or with disease. Christ's return is what we are expectant for and what we hope for as Christians. What's interesting to me is that this word hope, as I mentioned earlier, seems to go through a transformation of sorts from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Yes, it's written in two different languages, Hebrew and Greek, but there's something more afoot here. The Old Testament word, as we've already said, seems to center around this idea of waiting, and yet when we go to the New Testament and even look up some of these definitions of what that wording in the original language means, the the word wait isn't even used there. You see, what's happened in the space of time between the writing of the Old Testament and the New Testament is actually really significant. In that time, hope was revealed in Jesus. And that's what the Advent season is all about. Advent is to remind us that the wait was finally over when Jesus came. Jesus was the fulfillment of hope, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament Testament prophecies. He was the Messiah. He was Emmanuel, God with us. You see, Jesus provides hope in two senses. Firstly, hope to be right with God, forgiveness of our sins, that we could be right and in right relationship with God, our Creator. And this hope was realized, was specified at Jesus' first coming. But secondly, it's hope to live eternally with God that one day he will come, he will return and make everything right and make everything new. And that is hope that's yet to be realized. That's the hope to come at his second advent, his second coming. 
At his first arrival, hope went from being a vague waiting to a knowable reality. Hope moved in that time from being external, like what we read about in Psalms 130, where it's, yes, hope on the Lord, hope on Yahweh, some translations put it, this God who is above all things, to what we read about in the New Testament, in in Colossians 1 even, where hope is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's so much more personal, so much more intimate, so much more known. So am I suggesting that hope isn't about waiting anymore? No, I'm not doing that. But what I am saying is that hope is less general and is now more personal and specific. And this is where maybe uh, an illustration would help us out. When we were expecting our first child, that was a time in the Rathal household of hopeful waiting. We knew we were having a child, but we didn't know its gender. We hadn't seen its face. We, we didn't have a name even sorted out, finalized. And yet we were waiting. We were hopeful for what our future looked like with this child. And after a period of waiting, finally, we met our son. And we called him Trafford. And now he had a face. He had a name. There was so much more attached to that. Now, something interesting has happened because if I travel away from him now and I am not near him, like a couple of years ago, I had to go to Australia for a funeral and I was away from him for about two weeks. During that time, I was hopeful of seeing him again, but my hope was very different from before I met him, from before I had seen him. You see, my hope when I waited for him while I was away was different in that it was focused. I knew his face. I knew his name. It was different now because I know him. And so when we talk about hope, the important question to ask is, do you know hope? Do you know Jesus who is the fulfillment of of hope. Perhaps you don't. Perhaps you are in a place right now of hopelessness. There's another name for that, and it's called despair. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, describes despair as a giant who captures people and places them in his castle, doubting castle. Ephesians 2 talks about life without Christ as life with no hope or without hope. And so if you're sitting here today feeling hopeless, trapped in the castle of despair, I want to ask you to please look to Christ, the giver of true hope, Maybe others of you are sitting here today vaguely hopeful. You have hope in things, maybe things other than Christ. Maybe it's in relationship or career or success, however you would define that. Maybe it's in your finances. 
My warning to you is don't put your hope in things that perish. That's as foolish as choosing to build a house in the Mediterranean out of blocks of ice when you could build it out of blocks of concrete. It won't last. There is only one eternal thing in this universe, and that is the God that we are referring to today. If your hope is not anchored in Him, you will eventually find yourself adrift on the sea of life. Our hope must be in Jesus. And so has He, the living hope, taken up residency in you? If He has, there are things that will start to become obvious. He will start to change the way that you think, the way that you feel, the way that you speak and act. And so are you experiencing that change of having this Christ in you, the hope of glory? Is the fact that you have this hope obvious to the people around you, so much so that it demands an explanation? There's a pastor I respect who who once said this, we are called to live lives that demand gospel explanations. And when we have opportunities to give people Jesus as the answer for our hope. Perhaps you've been fortunate enough, as I have, to see this in action in the ultimate way. Maybe like me, you've watched somebody with a terminal illness journey through that walk towards eternity, possessing this hope. If you've had that experience, what you know is that the world around just doesn't know how to deal with that. When they see somebody walking with hope towards their death, they're like, what is up with that? What do I do with that? How can you have hope? And the answer that is given in that instance is Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the miraculous baby that we celebrate at Christmas? And is he the foundation of your hope? You may wonder, well, what does he offer us when we do look to him as the source of hope in our lives? And there's an old hymn that answers that question perfectly. I'll read just a portion of it for you. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine, God's own dear presence, to cheer and to guide. Strength for today, and hear this, bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. This is what Christ offers us. Bright hope for tomorrow. And so may you, may I cling to that hope today and throughout this Advent season. May we firmly possess hope and may we even abound in hope. I want to close our time 
reflecting on this by reading you one final scripture. It's found in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And it simply says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is Christ in you, you may abound in hope. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for you this morning, is that you would not just have a fragment of hope, but that we would abound in hope in Christ. Let me pray. God, we thank you that hope is found in you. We thank you that you, as we sometimes sing, are our living hope. We thank you that you are a hope that will never perish. It will never melt. It will never cast us adrift. God, we we confess that at times we look to other things as our hope. Would you forgive us for that? Would you help us to cling to you? Would you help us to live in such a way that our lives demand an explanation for this hope? And God, if there's anybody here today that is feeling hopeless, feeling despairing, I pray that you would release them from that castle, from that dungeon, and enable them to find hope and life in you. Thank you that you're able to do that by your power, not by ours. God, continue to speak to us, even as we take some moments now as we sing, to just process what you are saying to us. Thank you. Amen.